All right, everybody, welcome. Uh, we're going to start a new series today called, uh, we'll resume a series we we started a while back, Doctrine for Life. And uh, it's based on a book by Paul Tripp. Some of you maybe have read it or seen it. Uh, it's called, Do You Believe? 12 Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life. And um, so uh, the, the title of the series, Doctrine for Life, is very intentional. Those two things, doctrine and life. Um, you know, the, the focus of this class is not simply growing in our understanding of biblical teaching. Now, growing in our understanding of biblical teaching is very important. Um, but uh, the goal of, of gaining more knowledge of what the Bible teaches is, the goal is to be transformed by God's word, by God's truth. And so... Um, Paul Tripp has this uh, quote, You cannot sit under the teaching of the Word of God with an open and willing heart and remain the same. And and you know that. The the Word of God is powerful. God uses His Word as a means to uh, change us, to make us more like Christ, to transform us. And so um, theology at its best, when when we're... learning and doing theology the right way, um, it, it both informs and transforms. And so there's a danger um, of, of simply stopping at the informational um, aspect of studying theology. And, you know, it's a, it's a danger just in, in general. It's a danger for a church like ours that takes Bible teaching seriously, that takes doctrine seriously. Um, we can fill our heads with all kinds of facts and, and knowledge of the Bible and doctrine and um, not really grasp um, what it all is really about and how it's meant to get down inside of us and, and confront our sin and comfort us with God's grace and change the way we relate to other people and, and all kinds of things. Um, the, the way I like to think about this is, um, you know, it's the danger of, of becoming people who resemble um, a, an orange on a toothpick. Okay, I got a little, I, I did some art for this class. Um, you can see it's quite sophisticated. Um, and if you've ever seen So I Married an Axe Murderer, you know where this, this comes from. I won't go any further with that, but um, that's the danger. You know, big heads, flabby bodies, <laughs> underdeveloped bodies. But again, the idea being that it's not just about head knowledge, it's about life transformation. And, you know, what... Um, What's the danger of, of simply filling our heads with, with knowledge? Um, many dangers, but you know, chief among them um, would be pride. You know, I, I know things. I know better than, than you. Um, my doctrine's correct. Yours is wrong. And the reason is because I'm smart and you're, you're not. Or I'm godly and you're less so. Um, so arrogance and and meanness, um, and particularly Christians within the the Reformed tradition sometimes have a reputation um, for being jerks 
And so we really need to um, be on guard against that. And so the, the goal of this series is to both learn, but learn for the purpose of having our everyday lives um, impacted by, by what we're learning. So I'm going to pray, and then I'll give you a little preview of what we're going to talk about today, and then we'll jump in. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, um, we do come to your word and, and this topic today and, and ask that you would um, both teach and transform us, that you would use your word in our lives, that you would plant it deep within us and, and do good work in us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about, we're going to start talking about the doctrine of God's sovereignty. So we're going to spend a few weeks on this. This is just part one of three or four weeks. I can't remember the schedule. But um, we're going to start talking about God's sovereignty and, and not just at a theoretical level, but how does that, how does that change you know, daily life? And so today, um, three, we'll, we'll talk about three things. Getting our bearings, so just getting some definitions and, and summaries of, of the doctrine so that we know what we're talking about. And then we're, we're going to look at a couple glimpses of God's sovereignty in Scripture. We'll look at two, two uh, passages uh, or two sections of Scripture. And then, um, Lord willing, if we have time, um, talk about uh, God's sovereignty in everyday life. So some ways this doctrine um, impacts us. So first, let's um, get our bearings. This is a big doctrine. I'm not going to say everything that, that could be said about this. We're going to split up what we say about it over a couple weeks. But a, th- a few things to kind of get us oriented here. Um, let's start with the, quest- the questions we ask. Um, you know that uh, what, you know, those of you who have had kids or maybe grandkids or been around children, what's their favorite question? Why? Why? And it, and it makes sense, right? I mean, the, so much of the world is new to them. They're seeing many things for the first time. They're, they're, they're curious. They're inquisitive. They're trying to make sense of the world. Why are things this way? Um, and, um, you know, adult, as adults, we still ask those questions. Maybe not, you know, in the exact same way that a, a five-year-old would. But we still ask, you know, why are things this way? Um, you know why did why did this uh, terrible thing happen? Um, where was was God? Um, why would God allow you know X to happen? Um, and then you know from there, how could He let this happen? Is He really in control? Is is this world just kind of some you know uh, sphere of of just chaos and things you know just happen and and God can't do anything about it. Is this world um, really under God's rule? And so, you know, these are questions we we wrestle with as as human beings, as um, Christian men and women. And those questions um, are important, and they they dovetail with the doctrine of of God's sovereignty. They they intersect to some degree. With, with that doctrine. And so, um, you know, when we talk about God's sovereignty, we're not just dealing with abstract philosophical questions. You know, how many angels can fit on the, you know, the, the head of a needle? Uh, this is, you know, 
how do I, tomorrow when I wake up, what confidence do I have that, that this world is, is under God's good rule and care? I mean, is he just up in heaven kind of wringing his hands and wondering how things ended up this way? Um, so Paul Tripp in the book says that the way you answer those kinds of questions, you know, all those why questions, the way you answer those questions really shapes the way you interpret the world. Um, it, it directs the way you live, he says, and it, it determines, he says, even the, the nature of your, your hope and the, the peace that you may experience or not, depending on how you understand God's sovereignty. So, so again, just trying to emphasize here, this isn't mere you know, theology for the sake of geeking out. Uh, this is theology that, for the sake of trying to live faithfully as God's people in a, in a world that often doesn't make sense to us. So um, those are some of the questions we ask. Um, what does it mean that God is sovereign? You know, when we, we talk about God's sovereignty, what are we saying? Well, um, let me just show you a, something, how Paul Tripp summarizes it. I, I think he does a great job. Um, it means that God is in absolute control of his world and everything that happens without any gaps, limits, interference, or thwarting of his rule. He goes on, it means that God alone determines all that will happen and rules the means by which everything will happen. And so, you know, he... he does a good job in, in non-technical language saying, look, God's sovereignty means what you think it means. He, he has absolute power. He, he governs the world. Um, he says even here, um, God, you know, it means that God alone determines all that will happen, and he rules the means by which those things happen. And um, some implications of God's sovereign rule of the world um, these, again, are from Tripp, uh, means that God never has questions. We have lots of questions, right? God never has questions because he, he knows the answers. Uh, God is never surprised um, by anything that happens. You and I, I mean, I have no idea what Monday will look, for, for, look like for me. I mean, I have plans. I, I got an idea of what I want to do tomorrow, but who knows what will happen. I mean, last week, uh, or about two weeks ago, I came out to my car um, in the morning and found that it had been broken into. I had no idea that 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 was going to happen when I went to bed uh, the night before. Now, it was my fault. I left the car unlocked. I've done that like twice in my life, and both times the car got broken into. (laughs) Okay. God is is never surprised. God is never frustrated. Um, you know, he he's again not up in heaven wringing his hands. Ah, I, I wanted you know I wanted things to turn out this way, and and those people they just they messed it up. Um, never confused, never stumped, never at a loss, never wonders. What if things would have turned out differently? It's not doesn't happen. Um, God never feels hopeless. So when we 
When we say that God is sovereign, we, we really do mean that he has absolute power, absolute control, that, that things in this world operate according to his will, his plan, his purpose. Now, obviously, all kinds of questions, right, about, well, what about these evil things that happen, these terrible things? We're, we, we're not going to dive into all that today. We're just trying to establish that God has sovereign power, um, Two aspects of, of God's sovereignty. Let's just um, two kind of key aspects of God's sovereignty: um, God's decrees and God's providence. So, what do we mean by uh, God's decree? We'll do this real quickly. Um, God's decree. What is a decree? Um, it's a decision, right? A decision or an order made by someone with authority, and God's decrees are his eternal plans and purposes for his world and his creatures. Um, God has a plan. God has decided in eternity what will come to pass and how it will come to pass. And, you know, Scripture talks about this in all kinds of ways, using mainly language of, of plan, purpose, um, the counsel of his will. Let me just uh, give you a couple um, verses here. Ephesians 1 is really kind of the big one here. Um, I'll just read a selection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So emphasizing God's eternal plan and purpose to to choose and save a people for himself. And then a little bit later in that passage, um, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined. Again, that's, that's language of um, eternity past. Predestined, this, this is really important. According to the purpose, so there's that purpose language, according to the purpose of him who works all things and and... Do you know what all things means? Yeah, Marsha got it. She's, she's right on top of this. Uh, according to the purpose of him who works all things according or in line with the counsel of his will. So this is, this is biblical language for God's decree, the counsel of his will. He has planned and purposed what will come to pass in line with his will, his desires, his plans and, and purposes. So um, God's decrees, when we talk about God's decrees or God's purpose, um, it, it's an eternal purpose. It's an unchangeable purpose. It's, a, um, we could say, an unstoppable purpose. Um, if you want to read more about uh, God's decrees, just, just go look at um, you know, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the second London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 3 or something like that. Article 3, maybe, has some great things to say. Um, so what God decrees, what he plans, what he purposes in eternity will come to pass, infallibly, without question. So that's one aspect of, of God's sovereignty, his his decrees. The other aspect is his providence. Um, there's a lot that could be said about God's providence, but um, for today's purposes, 
Um, God's providence is his active participation in the world. So um, God did not make plans in eternity and then you know, create the world and kind of set things in motion and then kind of walk away. Um, God is actively involved in, in governing his world, um, ruling his world, sustaining and upholding uh, the world and, and everything in it. I mean, the, the reason your hearts are beating right now is because God is actively upholding them. Um, uh, Psalm 104 is kind of a, a, it's a wonderful poem about God's providential care for his world. I, I'm just going to give you uh, one little selection from it, uh, Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. I encourage you to go back and read it later today because it, it goes into detail about God creating this this universe and then uh, just being intimately involved in the, the ongoing life of, of the world. But here in these verses, you cause the grass to grow. I mean, you might wonder, doesn't God have better things to be doing than causing you know blades of grass to sprout up out of the, the soil? You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. He, he's involved in, in bringing about you know, the, the fruit of the earth for the sake of the creatures, not just animals, even, even human beings, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. And, and the rest of the psalm highlights different acts of, or different aspects of God's providential care. But when we say that God is sovereign, we mean he has a plan and purpose that, that will come to pass and that he's actively at work in the world causing his plans and purposes to come to pass. Um, so um, Paul Tripp says, when we say God is sovereign, we mean that he decrees what will be and he rules what he has made. So it might be a helpful way to remember it. He decrees what will be, he rules what he has made. So those are just um, you know, some, some ideas, some key ideas when we're talking about God's sovereignty. Now let's um, look at some glimpses of God's sovereignty in, in Scripture. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll look at several different um, places in Scripture where we see God's sovereignty in action. That's the beautiful thing about Scripture. Um, there are some places where we get kind of a, a teaching, um, you know, a didactic lesson of God's sovereignty, like Ephesians 1, where Paul says God does all, everything according to the counsel of his will. More often, we see God's sovereignty in action by what he does. Um, but so in the in the narratives of Scripture, we see the the all-powerful, all-sovereign God doing doing His will, accomplishing His purposes. And so uh, today we'll look at, at two, um, not in any um, depth or anything, but the first would be the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt. So the the Exodus story and. Um, you, most of you probably know that story quite well. Um, but in the, in the Exodus story, we, we see God's willingness to unleash his sovereignty for the sake of his people. Um, not just to, 
you know, kind of a flex contest, but to rescue, deliver, save his people. So you know the story. The, the Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites for 400 years. Um, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, exercises, you know, absolute rule over his slaves, right? And, and you know, even when Moses comes and uh, the Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh to ask Pharaoh to let the people go, and Pharaoh initially says, you know, no way, and just makes them, uh, makes their life even harder, you know, no straw for making bricks. Um, and the, the Israelites are powerless, you know, they're, they're just poor uh, slaves in Egypt. And, you know, as the opening chapters of Exodus go on, they cry out in, in agony and in pain, in frustration, and there's that beautiful uh, statement that, that God heard their cries. God hears and he acts. And, and God, you know, sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, and God promises to deliver the people. And in chapter 7, um, there's this key statement that um, the Lord makes. He says, uh, chapter 7, verse 5, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Now, notice how absolutely certain uh, this statement is. Uh, God says, the, the Egyptians shall know. Not, if things kind of work out according to what I hope to accomplish, they'll probably figure out that I am the Lord. He says, no, they're going to know. And when I stretch out my hand and bring out the people. So not, I'm going to try. Moses, I, I want you to know, I've, I've heard your complaints, I've heard the people's complaints, and I'm really concerned about their predicament. And I'm going to do the best I can to, to try to make a difference here. And hopefully, you know, the... The, all the details come together and, and you know, Pharaoh cooperates and, and Moses, if you can just, you know, I know Aaron doesn't, um, or I know Moses, you, you have trouble kind of with public speaking. So, you know, maybe Aaron can step in and be real, you know, just kind of speak with authority and kind of get, you know, under uh, Pharaoh's skin and intimidate him. And, and, you know, maybe I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. None of that, right? This is what I'm going to do. And there's no question about it. No ifs, no ands, no maybes. Um, God says, this is what I'm going to do. And then as you read um, Exodus 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, he does exactly that, right? And he does it through a, a series of plagues, right? You remember the story. We, we don't have time to go through all of it. But the, those plagues demonstrate God's complete control of the natural world. Right, uh, the turning the Nile into blood, bringing the gnats and the frogs and the the darkness, even the the death of of the firstborn in Egypt. Um, I mean, God just shows throughout each of these plagues. You know, I'm the God of the weather. I'm the God of the the animals. I'm the, I'm the God of of life. I hold the power of life in my hands. In fact, he even. Um, causes the natural world to, to operate counter to how he's designed it, right? Um, rivers turning into blood and, and so forth. Um, and there's a, a pattern with each of these plagues. Um, God 
sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, this is what I'm going to do. And then it happens. So it's not, you know, something happens and then Moses shows up and says, oh, by the way, that was the Lord. No, it's, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And sometimes he even says uh, to Pharaoh, tell me when you want me to do it. And Pharaoh says, well, tomorrow. So, okay, tomorrow at, at the time Pharaoh indicated. Um, so God wanted the Egyptians, and, and not just the Egyptians, but his own people to, to see his sovereign power on display. And that whole story, that whole story that you know many of us learned when we were kids, it's, it's all about God's sovereign power. It really illustrates what Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens, and that doesn't just mean he's, he's far, it means he's in the place of power, and he does all that he pleases. Um, not he does many of the things that he would like to do or, um, or anything like that. He does all that he pleases, which is another way of saying he does all that he has planned and purposed according to the counsel of his will. And no one, not even Pharaoh, one of the most powerful um, earthly rulers of the day, um, can do anything about it. If God wants to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, God's going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. If there's a, a body of water standing in their way, he's going to part the, the waters and cause them to walk across the, that body of water on dry land. And so, you know, when we talk about God's sovereignty, I don't know, um, you know, it, it can sound a little scary, right? There's this deity that has uh, unlimited power and control. And, and no one can stop him. No one can get in his way. Um, he will always do what he wants to do. And you might think, oh, that, that's a little intimidating. Um, but uh, I, one way I like to think about this, um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, and you, you probably know this, this scene, I think it's Susan, one of the Pevensey kids. Uh, Susan um, asks Mr. Beaver about Aslan, the lion, who's the true king of Narnia. They, ha- they haven't met yet. And she says, you know, I'm a, I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous to meet a lion. Um, is he safe? And um, Mr. Beaver kind of chuckles and says, of course he's not safe. He's the king. But then he adds, but he's good. But he's good. And, and when we're talking about God's sovereignty, we're saying, you know, is he safe? Can we control him? No. He, has, uh, he accomplishes all his, his holy purpose. But he's absolutely good. And so his sovereignty is married to perfect goodness. And what that means is um, God exercises his sovereign power for the sake of his people. And, and you see that so clearly in, in the Exodus. God doesn't just show up to kind of, again, flex his muscles. He does it to rescue his suffering people from the evil oppression of, of Pharaoh and his people. And so uh, Paul Tripp says, It is God's rule over all things and his rule on their behalf that gives his people rest and courage. Um, so when we think of God's sovereignty, we have to to think of it not in just some abstract way, but in, in remembering that God exercises his control and his purposes for the good of his people. 
Um, and, you know, there's tremendous comfort in that. You know, for many of us, you know, uh, Romans 8.28 is just kind of this lifeline, right? God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his, his will. Um, you know, so much comfort knowing that the world appears to be spinning out of control, right? I mean, just from a, you know, pull up, you know, your news feed and, and read about what goes on each week and you think, this is terrible, but there is a, a God, a sovereign God who created all things, upholds all things, and is directing all things according to the, the counsel of his will for the ultimate good of his people and the glory of his name. Now, I will add, and we can talk about this more in the, in the coming weeks, all of that is, is wonderful news, gives us lots of hope, lots of comfort, um, doesn't mean that God's sovereignty always makes sense to us. And you just think of it from the perspective of an Israelite in Egypt in slavery. And all their, you know, all their ancestors, as far back as they can remember, have been slaves. And they might think, why did God wait 400 years to deliver his people? I mean, why not, you know, like four days and, and get this over with? So God's sovereignty, I mean, he shows up, he rescues his people, but we're still left with all these questions. Why did he wait so long? Why did he allow Pharaoh to do work his evil for so long? Um, why didn't God just stop the Egyptians from enslaving the Israelites in the first place? Why even, you know, why not just show your power by kind of knocking Pharaoh down when he set out to to mistreat the the Israelites? And um, we don't know, right? You, you know, we we can't say with certainty why. God does things the way he does. Now we know, right, from Scripture, his plans for us are good, his purposes will result in everlasting glory for us, but all the details, why this, why, why not, why did you let this person get sick and die? Why didn't you heal them? I mean, couldn't you have shown your power by, by miraculously healing? Um, we don't know. So, so knowing that God is sovereign doesn't eliminate mystery, um, we wish it did, but it, it, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't mean that, that we, will, we can say in every circumstance, this is exactly what God is doing. Um, we, we can rest um, knowing that he is doing something and that um, it, it, his plans and purposes for us are, are intended for good. But, but the actual, you know, what is it that God's trying to accomplish here may elude us. Um, so just to, we want to keep our understanding of, we want to use the doctrine of God's respo- um, sovereignty responsibly. Um, I'll, I'll say one other thing about this. Um, you know, often, you know, you may have a friend that, that's going through some kind of trial and it's really hard. And, and often um, bringing in the doctrine of God's sovereignty is not the, the thing you want to lead with. You know, when they're when they're kind of experience, they're experiencing the just the raw pain of the trial, um, and you come in and you say, "Well, just you know, um, you shouldn't be so upset. This is God's will." And you think, "What? It was God's will to like make me miserable and you know do this to my loved one?" Um, that that he sounds like a mean God. Um, at some point it might be appropriate to, to bring in the doctrine of God's sovereignty and to remind your friend or loved one, 
Remember, um, not a hair can fall from your head apart from your heavenly Father's will. But it might not be the, it probably should not be the thing you lead with. Remember what, what Paul says in Romans, weep with those who weep. And so sometimes what your friend needs is just somebody to say, yeah, that is terrible. Uh, that, I can't believe what's going on. That must be so hard. Um, and you just sit with them. Empathize. Pray. Uh, later, you can, you can dive into the intricacies of God's sovereign rule over the world. All right, off my soapbox, on to the second glimpse uh, in Scripture. So the, the Exodus, the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt next. Um, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, um, another well-known story. I think in your notes I have Daniel chapters 4 and 5. We'll, do, we'll just talk about chapter 4. But um, if any of you are history buffs and you've studied world history a bit, um, you know that world history seems like the story of, of powerful leaders, kings, generals, and so forth, just kind of doing what they want and just kind of trampling all over anybody who gets in their way. And, um, you know, you can just you can go as far back as, as possible in human history, recorded human history, and just see that unfold century after century. The Bible says looks can be deceiving. When you go and read um, history, it looks that way, but behind and beneath the, the apparent um, chaos of, of, let's just say, human government, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And, and there's a number of wonderful summary statements, Proverbs 21.1 being one of those. It says, the king's heart... And you can substitute there for king, president, governor, mayor, uh, corporate executive, whomever. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, the Lord turns it, wherever he will. So, um, contrary to how things appear to us with our limited knowledge, our limited wisdom and insight... um, God is sovereignly directing um, even the the proud, puffed-up leaders of the world. Um, doesn't mean they're they're consciously doing His will. So don't don't misunderstand me. Um, but God is again in control, directing things according to His purposes, and we see that um, illustrated really well in the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Um, you know, Daniel chapter four. Uh, there's two main characters. There's other kind of minor characters in the story, but you have uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, um, reigned for 43 years. Nebuchadnezzar, you may remember, is the one who destroyed Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar and his army came in, wiped out the city, carried off the people of Judah into exile in Babylon. So when you know when we talk about the the Jewish exile. This is the guy, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the guy that, that made it happen, um, at least for the southern kingdom. And uh, Daniel is a young man, one of those Jewish exiles, and he serves in the king's court. And um, you probably remember Nebuchadnezzar thought very highly of himself, right? You know, I, I'm king of this mighty empire, Babylon, and he has this statue built. And... Um, orders that everybody has to worship, bow down and worship this statue. And what he's really saying is uh, he's ordering everybody to worship him. 
you know, the statue is kind of his image, and um, the people have to bow down before him because he's Mr. You know, High and Almighty. And um, in, in the course of the story, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a tree. Do you remember this? He had a few dreams in the book of Daniel, but the second dream is about this massive tree. In his dream, he sees this tree that, that grows so tall, its, it's um, branches retouch the heavens, and it extends its canopy far and wide, and it, you know, it's got these beautiful leaves. Um, it produces abundant fruit that feeds the whole world. Um, in the dream, the animals come and, and rest in the shade of the tree, and the birds nest in its branches, meaning it provides you know, sh- safety and shelter to, to all. And um, you know, this massive tree, but then towards the end of the dream, um, someone, uh, one of the watchers, the holy ones, we won't get into all that, but orders that the tree be chopped down, and leaving just a, a stump. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's puzzled. What does all this mean? And he, he calls for Daniel to come in and interpret the dream because Daniel had interpreted some dreams previously for, for Nebuchadnezzar. And um, in chapter 4, verse 22, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. <laughs> you're the tree. And what it all means is, yeah, you're this great, powerful, glorious ruler but you're going to be chopped down, and you're going to be you're going to become a madman because you're not glorifying the true God of heaven and earth. And in um, the end of verse uh, 25 or verses 24 and 25, Daniel says, "You're going to live with the animals and be a crazy man till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will." And then, uh, if you want to turn there, Daniel chapter four. Uh, I'll just I'll read part of this for you. Um, Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. Uh, so Daniel just interpreted the dream, and then we see what happens. And uh, Daniel chapter 4, beginning verse 28, we read, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? So you can just kind of picture this scene, this, you know, puffed up king surveying his realm and just thinking, man, all that beauty and splendor and wealth and it all just reflects my power, my glory. Uh, Continues. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. goes on. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Um, At the end, we'll stop there. 
and his nails were like bird's claws. So um, I forgot, I, I came across a painting of this scene, uh, you know, several centuries old, but it, it's kind of hilarious. Just There's all these animals. If, if you just saw the animals, you'd think it's like some kind of Disney scene, you know, all these birds and rabbits and deer just kind of frolicking around. And then right in the middle, there's Nebuchadnezzar naked with this wild look in his eyes, his hair's long, and he's like down on all fours like an animal, just a, a crazy man. A madman. Um, so the Lord lays low a powerful king in an instant. Um, didn't even, in this case, didn't even use you know some foreign army to come in and just kind of wipe out Babylon. He just he strikes Nebuchadnezzar with um, insanity. And and later in the story, Nebuchadnezzar kind of comes to his senses. Do you remember? And, and when he does, um, he praises the Lord as the sovereign king. And so a little bit later in the passage, uh, verses 34, 35, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And um, notice what he says, for his dominion, is an everlasting dominion. His, his rule, his reign, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does, does this sound familiar, this language? And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Um, you know, this is one of the, the most beautiful prayers in Scripture, ascribing power and honor and glory to the Lord. And it comes from the mouth of a pagan king. Pagan king who, who got put in his place by, by the sovereign Lord of the universe. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar learned through this whole ordeal that, that he's not the true king. He's not the head honcho. The, the Lord, the God of Israel, rules heaven and earth, and, and no one can stop him. And, and at the end of the section, he says, he says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, much different story at the end, right? Much different language coming from his mouth. Not look at the glory of my my power and realm, but hey, the God of heaven's going to knock you down if you if you get too high up on your horse and, and think you're something important. So, uh, just two quick glimpses of of God's sovereignty in action. We'll look at some more in the coming weeks. Um, what I want to finish with is uh, talking about God's sovereignty in everyday life. So again, we're, we're not just trying to geek out on, on doctrine. We want to talk about how God's sovereignty um, affects us practically. And, and um, one thing God's sovereignty does for us is uh, give us, it gives us perspective. So it gives us um, a perspective. And Paul Tripp has this wonderful little visual tool that he uses um, to... to help us understand what it looks like to live in light of God's sovereignty. And it's a, a pair of concentric circles. So the first circle um, is the circle, uh, he calls it a circle of responsibility. 
And the second one, uh, circle of concern. And so, you know, the inner circle, circle of responsibility, outer circle, circle of concern. The circle of responsibility, so this inner one, the smaller one, it represents the things that God has called you to do. So the, the duties, the responsib- daily duties, responsibilities that God has, has given to each one of us. Um, go to work and do your job well. Um, pay your taxes. <laughs> Study for the test. Um, you know, make that doctor's appointment. Show up at that doctor's appointment. Um, provide for your family. Um, change a diaper. And, and, you know, the list goes on. The, the things we do every single day. Um, what is the proper response to you know, the, the things that, that go inside that circle, those, those daily tasks, responsibilities, duties? Um, the proper response is to trust God for, to, for his empowering grace. So you could say depend on God to enable you to do what he's called you to do, to obey what he's commanded you to do, um, faithfully to, to do what he's called you to do, right? That's the, in this circle of responsibility, that's, um, that's the proper response. And there's a, a relatively small number of things that go inside that circle. Now, I say relatively because, you know, if we tried to list them off, it's a lot. But compared to, you know, the entire planet and all that goes on on the planet, um, it's a relatively small number of things. Now, circle of concern, that, that outer, larger circle, um, we could say, in a sense, this is the circle of God's responsibility. Inner circles are responsibility, outer circle God's. Um, Many things belong in that circle, right? And the things that go in that outer circle tend to be the the attention-getting things, the the things that um, keep us up at night, um, the the things that um, occupy our thoughts, um, give us ulcers, th- those kinds of things. And um, these are the things that are not our individual responsibility to take care of. Um, they're outside of our power and ability to, to accomplish or to um, produce. Um, the kinds of things, you know, there could be lots of things. Um, the, the trajectory of the economy of our country. Um, it, it's a concern, right? And, and we might be able to do certain things that sort of have a, an effect on the economy, but ultimately, you and I can't make the economy go one way or the other. Um, illness or disease that, that befalls us or, or a loved one. Um, traffic. Can't do anything about it, right? Um, the outcome of the Super Bowl. Go Niners. Um, other people's, no, I don't really care who wins. Um, I don't really care who wins as long as it's not the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> other people's behavior, uh, can't, can't control it, can't direct it, um, the outcome of the election, and, and so on. You know, there's, there's lots of things. Um, cert- they're, they're concerns. Um, what's the proper response to the, the circle of concern. Um, Tripp says, the proper response is to entrust these things to God's sovereign care and rule. Um, 
and trust them. And why? Because he's sovereign, like we've been talking about. Um, because all those things in that, that outer circle, and there's a million and million plus things that go in there, those are concerns for us, responsibilities for God. And um, just to, to be clear, entrusting these things to God does not mean we are indifferent to these things. And, and I think that's something we wrestle with often when we think of God's sovereignty. If I'm going to entrust the outcome of these things to God, that must mean like I just kind of, you know, wash my hands of them. I, I'm not, I don't care. Um, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do. It, it's not an indifference to these things. They're, they are concerns. I mean, um, and aspects of our personal responsibility might overlap. Um, you know, I, I can't determine the outcome of the election, but I can vote. Um, I, I, can't, um, I can't make the traffic better. I can maybe find an alternate route, <laughs> you know, something like that. But um, we entrust these things to God because we are not sovereign. And um, crucial for living the way that God would have us to live is to know which things belong in which circle. And this is really hard for us. Um, knowing which aspects of my life and this world belong in that, that inner circle, the circle of responsibility, and which ones go in the outer circle. Um, we tend to want to put everything in the inner circle, Right? All of it, uh, all these things, are my, I need to do something about it. Um, let me give you an example. Um, if, if you're a parent, you're called to raise your children in the, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and if you're a parent, you want your son or daughter to know Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus. And, and it, it can weigh on you, right? Especially if you know, they're getting older and it's clear they're, they're wandering from, from the Lord. And you think, oh, um, what do I do? Now, all of us as parents have to learn a, a very important, or all of us who are parents have to learn an important lesson, right? We have absolutely no power to produce saving faith in our children. We want them to believe, we, we teach them, we bring them to church, we you know, do what we can, but at the end of the day, I cannot create this thing called faith within them. And um, as parents... We, we, in a sense, we know that, but then we live as if we can create faith within them. And, and what does that look like when we think, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can. If it's the last thing I do before I die, I'm going to get my kid into heaven. And you just become this controlling, domineering um, uh, parent, right? Because you're always nervous. Oh, if they, if they do this, they're, they're not going to believe, and, and you're trying to force it. And Paul Tripp says, when parents try to force faith on a child, they crush the spirit of the child and drive them further away. Uh, so one example of um, not, not recognizing what is our circle of responsibility and what is, is just a, a circle of concern. So... Um, what, what does our life look like when we get these confused? So in the case of the parent, but it's not just true of the parent, we can be domineering, controlling, because 
you know, it, I need to manipulate and and work everything to 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 my advantage. I, you know, if I've got to get my hands and everything so that it works out the way I want, because otherwise, disaster. Or um, you become very fragile because you've got all these things you're trying to control, but you can't control them, and they're constantly uh, thwarting your attempts to control and, and manipulate. And there's all these other people, they're always ruining your plans, and so you know, I'm just going gonna, gonna to blow up and yell at that person, put them in their place so they stop ruining all my plans, or you're just going to be a, a mess all the time. Because you think you've got to control everything, but you can't. Um, or you're just plain exhausted. You know, you're, you're spinning your wheels trying to, to make life work out the way you want. You're trying to juggle all these, all these balls, all, all these things that, that you really can't juggle. And so um, you're exhausted. So um, that's, you know, the danger of confusing circle of responsibility and circle of concern. Um, what what could your life look like potentially if if you have a clearer understanding of circle of responsibility, circle of concern? Oh, I forgot to show you. This is what you look like if you confuse the two. This is what you look like. Um, what's the result of having a better understanding of which which things go in the inner circle, which things go in the outer circle? Uh, and the potential is not... You know, I just coast through life with this big smile on my face and no worries, but but there is potential for a steadier inner life, right? You're not on this roller coaster of like every day it's up to me to make it all happen. Um that that's a that's a I don't want to live that way. I live that way too often. That's a miserable way to live. If you have a better understanding of I, I will with the help of God's grace, I will try to do the things He's called me to do. But all those other things, um, I'm going to let God be God. Um, there's the potential for a, a steadier inner life. Not that things don't get you down, but um, you're not, you know, trying to be God, and, and you're not God, and it, it makes you miserable. Um, your your peace is not tied to the daily news cycle. And I'll just offer. It's probably been a few months since I offered my my counsel on this. Stay away from daily news. <laughs> Number one, there's not enough that happens each day to spend to warrant sitting down and listening or, or reading, and it's all uh, meant to make you worry. You know, look at the news once a week, not every day. All right, done with that lesson. Um, so steadier inner life. Your peace isn't tied to the daily news cycle. Um, you, you may become a less controlling person. You may become a less domineering person when you, you better recognize that you know all these things that I, I do care about, and they are concerns, but they're outside of my, my power, outside of my circle of responsibility. I'm going to let God be God. I'm going to cast my cares on Him. It, it enables you to kind of... Um, let go of I, I don't know what the good what the good uh, picture would be, but it, it lets you tread a little more lightly on with the other people in your life. Um, you you can love them 
You can, you know, if it's your kids, you can teach, you can guide, you can direct, but but you're not like trying to reach inside them and force them to, to be the way you want. So you're, you're better able, um, it helps you become adaptable. You're better able to handle change, better able to handle um, disappointment, things not working out the way you want, because you know it's not, you know, the end of your existence when things don't go the way you want. Your, your Father in Heaven knows what's best for you. So, um, you know, understanding God's sovereignty, um, that, that God is, does according to His plans and purposes and that we can entrust Him to, to deal with the things that are outside of our control. We can entrust Him to deal with the things that He calls us to do as well. Um, leads to a, a, a life of um, not unhindered, peace and tranquility, but a, a life of steady hope and trust in, in the Lord. So I'm going to give you a little homework, um, but I won't actually check that you did it. Um, a, a little exercise. On a piece of paper, draw those two circles. So draw the, the small inner circle, draw a circle outside of it, label them, the outer circle, circle of concern, the inner circle, circle of responsibility, and just start listing, you know, kind of brainstorm your life and just start listing, you know, which things belong where. And, and you might, at first, you might put something in the circle of responsibility and later realize, I ah, need to erase that, cross it out, move it to the, the, um, the outer circle. And then um, just review that regularly and, and ask the Lord to help you um, live in light of his sovereignty, that there's some things he calls you to do and to take care of, and then there's other things he calls you to entrust to him. So um, again, I, I think that might be helpful if, if you do um, struggle to, to know which things belong where. Um, if you do uh, try that out, I'd love to hear um, if it helps at all for you. So maybe in a couple weeks after you've had a chance, um, I'd love to hear about it. All right, so we're going we're gonna to wrap up uh, for today. Um, next week, we'll continue talking about God's sovereignty. We'll look at a few more glimpses of his sovereignty in action in Scripture and talk about um, how that, that shapes our daily living. Um, I'll pray, and then we'll be done. Our good and sovereign God, we pray that you would help us to, um, to, to really humble ourselves and to um, admit to you and to ourselves that we are not God? Would you help us, Lord, to entrust to you those, those many things that weigh on us, those concerns that are important, but that we have no power whatsoever to uh, control? We pray that you would uh, continue to shape and mold our hearts uh, into people who Rejoice in your sovereign power, rest in your sovereign power, who are um, people who are adaptable, um, people who are steady in, in what seems like a chaotic world. Lord, would you um, steady us by the, the knowledge of your good plans and purposes for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.